Welcome to the season finale of Far and Beyond Oregon True Crime, where we explore strange, bizarre, and crazy true crime stories from Oregon and the Pacific Northwest. I'm your host, Stacy, And I'm your co-host, Valerie. Well, let's get started. <laughs> yes. All right. So this week, we are actually going to continue on with our segment of our story last week where Joan Cottle was very viciously murdered by Richard Marquette and then her body dismembered and spread throughout Portland. I thought you were going to talk about my snack segment. (laughs) Uh, We don't need to recap We should make that a thing. (laughs) Snack recap. I just ate my crunchy snack because I know I couldn't eat that while we were recording. I had peanut butter filled pretzels. Just so all of you guys know, because I know you're wondering. And now everybody listening wants peanut butter filled pretzels. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad we don't have a sponsor with peanut butter filled pretzels. <laughs> <laughs> no particular brand. I think it's just like the ones from Costco. Hmm. Yeah, everybody loves those. They like freak out in my family when they see them. They're like, can we get them? Like, no, we can't because I'll eat the whole thing. <laughs> So, this week our story actually takes place in Salem in the 1970s. We're moving a decade ahead. So, we're now entering the late 1970s in Salem. And Salem is, of course, the capital of Oregon. And it is quickly becoming a hopping place to be. Yeah. (laughs) So, in January of 1975... One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was actually filmed here in Salem at the Oregon State Hospital. You know that, right? Yeah. Like, everybody in Salem knows Everyone this. knows that. <laughs> um, so it kind of brought our city one of our favorite claims to fame, that we had an Academy Award winning movie filmed right here with Jack Nicholson, and um, I can't think of any other people right now, but I know there were a lot of good people in this movie, (laughs) but I just see Jack Nicholson's face in my brain. Based on a true story. (laughs) They actually just made a show about it, too. Oh, did they? Yeah. I think it's called, like, Ratchet or something? Oh, Nurse Ratchet. Yeah. Yeah. That was based off of that. It wasn't filmed here or anything, but it was based off of that nurse. Yes. Yeah, I um our other sister watches that and she told me to watch it and I haven't yet. I've watched most of it, I think. I think I might have finished it. Mm. Um production for that movie would like I said start in January of 1975 and it would end around March or in or April. Um and in April we would have much darker news. So late Saturday afternoon on April 19th, 1975, A fisherman was fishing for catfish on the Willamette Slough. So he wasn't, like, on the Willamette River. He was in all those little offshoots, Mm -hmm. like on Mental Brown Island and all of that. Yeah. He was under a bridge named uh, near uh, Fargate Street. And while he was fishing in about two feet of water, he discovered a mutilated and dismembered body. I don't know that much about fishing, but, like... Two feet of water doesn't seem like that much. Um, I think catfish kind of like the mud, from what I understand. Like the shallower. Yeah. So while fishing in about two feet of water, he discovered a mutilated and dismembered body. 
He immediately informed the police, and by immediately in 1975, I mean he drove to the nearest phone, called them, waited for them, and then drove back. So probably like three hours later. Mm-hmm. And he led them to the location. Police were under the floodlights, so they brought in floodlights to recover the body, which was identified as a woman, Caucasian, 30 to 40 years old, between 5'2 and 5'4, 145 165 pounds with short curly hair. So it was nighttime by the time that they had gotten there because they used those floodlights? Yeah, it was April and he found her around 4, so I'm thinking it was getting dark around 5, mm-hmm. 30, 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And by the time, like I said, he got to a phone, got the police, came back, it was police probably pretty there. dark. Yeah. yeah. But I'm surprised he found his way back. Well, I guess the bridge is, like, one of the only bridges over in that way. And mm-hmm. it's, a, like, a wooden bridge. It's not a real... Uh, not a bridge bridge. Mm-hmm. Like a walking bridge, basically? No, you could drive on it. Oh, okay. It was just a wooden one. It was just a small... Over, like, almost... It's almost... Because it's over the slough. It's almost like a little creek. Where in Oregon was this, you said? Salem. Oh. Her arms, legs, head, and breasts had all been removed from her torso and she was nude. Sounds familiar to our last story. Her clo- There was clothing that was assumed to be hers and it was found a very short distance away. It was a blue gray jacket, bell-bottom jeans, open heel shoes, a white sweater, and a silver ball chain necklace. The coroner and police believe the body had been dumped recently due to the date of the newspapers around her dated the same week. Again, slightly familiar, right? Mm-hmm. It would only be one day before her body was identified. 35-year-old Betty Lucille Wilson had been strangled or suffocated prior to her body being dismembered and thrown over the bridge. So this what, is where, did they find the whole body this time? Um, they found, I think, everything except for her head. Yeah, it didn't say they found her head there. It, it was just the rest of her. Yeah. Um, it feels like... Well, we'll get into that in a minute. So, finding things on Betty was a lot harder than finding things on Joan. Uh, from what records I could find, I believe she was born Betty Lucille Hardin in North Carolina around 1940 to Laxton and Bertha Hardin. They were listed as farmers on the 1940 census I found. Uh, but other than that, I couldn't find any conclusive information like where she went to school. Um, she ha- Betty Hardin was actually a very common name in North Carolina in the 1940s and 50s. Mm-hmm. There were, like, six different ones I found. And I'm like, I don't know which one's her because the only picture, like, with Joan, they posted a picture of her, her alive. With Betty, the picture in the paper is her dead. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they did find her head because they did post the picture right away to be able to identify her. Um... She did have a sister named Nancy Jane Pomeroy, and it was this sister and her niece, Sherry, that she was visiting when she came from North Carolina in 1975. Her sister lived in Sio, just outside of Salem, Mm -hmm. 
and Betty had come to Oregon from Hope Mills, North Carolina around January 15th after being estranged from her husband. It was reported that she had actually filed for divorce from her husband in February, but they could not find any court filings in any of the surrounding counties, and her husband's name was never given. That was another reason why I couldn't track her down. I didn't have any information on her husband either. Um, it looked like she may have actually been married twice, too, because in one thing she was re referred to as Betty Lucille White Wilson Harden, or Betty Lucille Harden White Wilson. <laughs> yeah. If that was actually her. She was last seen alive Friday, April 18th. At 3 p.m. that day, Sherry and Betty left Sio and headed to the Staten Canning Company Cannery, which is now um, Norpac in, Salem, in Staten. Mm -hmm. um, I believe this is actually where Nancy, her sister, worked and that they actually went to visit her. They left Staten with Sherry's escort, who is never named, just know he's a male, uh, around 9 p.m. and they ended up at the Pepper Tree Restaurant. And this is actually located where um, La Mien, the Chinese restaurant, is today. Pepper Tree Restaurant actually sounds really good. I don't know uh, why. I don't know if it's actually a restaurant. So I was more like a dive bar. Well, you said restaurant. It does say, it, they do call it a restaurant, but then, like, later on when they're describing what goes on there, I'm kind of like, this sounds more like a dive bar than a restaurant. But, um, it's on Portland Road, mm -hmm. where Lamian was. Uh, Sherry, who was underage, was actually refused alcohol, so her and her escort left to have dinner elsewhere. Why, I think it's a bar. She's not allowed there because she's underage. Mm -hmm. um, Betty remained by herself. Around 11 p.m., Sherry and her escort returned, and he went inside to find Sherry in the crowded restaurant. I'm sorry, to find Betty in the crowded restaurant. When he found Betty, she was not ready to leave. She actually refused to go with them and said, I'll meet you at home later in Sio. So he went back out to Sherry. And she actually insisted that he go back in and make Betty leave. She was like, I'm not leaving her here alone at night. Go get her. Um, but when he went back into the restaurant, he couldn't find her again due to it being really crowded. Mm -hmm. And I think probably likely to Betty not wanting to go, so she was kind of ducking him, mm -hmm. is my thinking. So they, they ended up leaving and going home and waiting for Betty to return home. Uh, Betty shared a table with two other women that said they saw her leave around 12 or 12.30. People in the restaurant were questioned. There were about 250 people there because there had been a rock band there that night. Mm -hmm. So it was packed. Uh, police kept all the names confidential, though. On Tuesday, April 22nd at 2.30 a.m., police arrested Richard Marquette... And charged him with the murder of Betty Wilson. Our old friend Richard doesn't look so good anymore. Yeah, he looks like he aged a lot. Yes, prison was not good to Marquette. <laughs> More drinking, I'm assuming, mm -hmm. given the DUI. <clears throat> uh, Monday afternoon, police had actually obtained a search warrant for Marquette's property and his car. He was living in a mobile home located near the pepper tree. And it was actually, like, 300 yards from the restaurant. So, like, very near. Very short walk. <laughs> yes. 
Um, he was working as a plumber at Salem Plumber Company. Or, or he was working as an apprentice plumber. So he wasn't a full-blown. Mm-hmm. Um, upon searching the mobile home, police found hair and blood that, bla- that backed up claims that Betty had been killed in the home. The DA requested samples from Marquette to match to hair and blood that had been found on Betty. The judge granted this request as well. Um, and he also granted Marquette's attorney's request to have him psychologically tested to see if he was fit to stand trial. <laughs> this guy has more psychological tests. They didn't test him to leave prison, but they tested him. Of course. To stand trial. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have problems with this. <sighs> So, on May 9th, Marquette pled innocent to all charges. (laughs) His trial was actually set to begin June 2nd, and after the testing was complete, Marquette's attorney believed him to be fit to stand trial. But shortly before his trial, so it's set to start on June 2nd, May 30th, he decided to change his plea. Um, The judge who was going to hear the plea was uh, Judge Val Sloper. He's kind of his name's all over Salem on different things because I think he he did a lot of stuff. He may have even been a governor. I can't remember. But he was actually called out of the middle of a bridge tournament <laughs> to come hear this plea. <laughs> so I imagine this judge coming in and being like, you know, you're interrupted. My weekend with the family. So it was important. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, he actually changed his plea to guilty. And after his plea was given, the police gave out more details of the evidence they had against Marquette. Because they weren't going to go to trial. Mm-hmm. Betty had met Marquette at the Pepper Tree, where they talked and danced. And around 12 or 12.30, they left and headed to Marquette's mobile home, about 300 yards from the restaurant. Uh, sometime in the next few hours, Marquette manually strangled Betty. And there were no signs of sexual interaction, so they didn't do anything before that. He just strangled her. Um, from there, he took her body into the bathroom. Gets a little gruesome here. Is there any other way to strangle someone? I uh, like with a manual? rope, like with a ligature. Manually, Manually means he used his hands. Oh, okay. It's like, is there an automatically? That's... <laughs> no, that, that means without a weapon. It was just okay. his hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, from there, he took her into the bathroom. I cut her up. He pulled out her fingernails with pliers and slashed her with a six inch fishing knife that he like he cut her to ribbons. It's just like ugh. Um it's a lot of blood. Yes. Blood matching Betty's type, because that's all they could do was typing, was found splattered in the home. Two of her fingernails were also found, one just outside the front door, like he had accidentally swept it out the front door. And the other one was in, like, the sewage drain. How could you miss that detail? Right. And also, why were you not counting them? Like, you didn't... <laughs> he wasn't that like, smart. <laughs> just count them up. Make sure you got all ten first. I don't... Don't pull them off to be... What is the purpose of pulling them off? <laughs> you can't get like, anything from that. Like, I mean, do the fingerprints. They didn't even have DNA at the time, so it's not like he was trying to hide his DNA under her fingernails. Uh-huh. I mean, there's no purpose other than he enjoyed this. Uh-huh. Uh, um, yeah. So after the mutilation, Marquette loaded Betty into his truck to take her to Brown's Island Sanitary Landfill. So on Mental Brown, there used to be actually a landfill. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where he was going to take her to dump her. Um, but instead, he got, like, part of the way there and decided to dump her over the bridge. And that's the bridge. That, so, like, here's the water. There wasn't very much water over there. Is that a box right there? Something. I think a lot of people just throw junk over here. I mean, there's junk over there. But this is just a picture of the area that she was found. A boot sock was actually found on scene, and it matched boot socks that Marquette had in his home, which to me isn't like a gotcha evidence because how many other people own those socks? But I mean, it's one more thing tying him to the scene. Mm-hmm. The knife was also recovered in his home, and Marquette would not say why he killed Betty. He never gave an official statement on that. Or a confession on it? Um, other than telling them what happened. Uh, the brutal killings actually made officials question the parole guidelines <laughs> and the whole system. So it actually led to legislation being made to make mandatory waiting periods longer and having psychological evaluations. <laughs> yeah, she got something. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Due to this legislation, though. Preventing a lot of prisoners that would have been paroled early from being paroled early. A lot of them were not happy with him. Mm-hmm. So he was actually kept away from the general population. And they made plans to move him out of Oregon to serve his life sentences. Because he would serve the life sentence for Joan still. Mm-hmm. Because he broke parole by killing someone. Yeah. And then he also received a life sentence for Betty. And he was going to serve them consecutively. But did that other state have those same parole requirements? Um, I think even though he moved the parole requirements to the same from where he was, because we're basically trading prisoners. Uh-huh. So on Monday, June 2nd, the same day his trial would have began, Marquette helped lead police to the remains of a third victim. What? When did that happen? Marquette had met the woman. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) He met her a year prior to Betty's death. So they didn't find her for a long time. Why did he even confess to that? I don't know. Like, he he just wanted to be recognized. He got nothing out of it. He didn't get any less time. Nothing like that. He just... Yeah. Didn't um, know about it. They had no idea. The sad thing is, is he didn't know the exact date he met this woman and killed her. He knew he met her at Decent Dudley's Tavern, which is where the Firehouse Cabaret now stands over on Portland Road by Shamawa. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman was described by Marquette because he did not remember her name. She was 28 to 30 years old, about 5'7", 110 to 120 pounds, and she had long brown hair. So her remains were found in a shallow grave at Roaring River Campground, just southeast of Estacada. Which is at a campground. I'm surprised like some kid didn't in a shallow grave. Mm-hmm. A kid or a dog didn't dig this up. Yeah, especially dogs. They have dogs all over there. Mm-hmm. Um, her torso was found in one grave, and her arms and legs were found in another. No head was found, and her fingers and toes had been removed, making identification almost impossible. Instead of making two shallow graves, hear me out here, what if we just make one medium grave? (laughs) It's the same amount of work, 
It's not scattered everywhere. He likes to scatter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, other than Even Betty, Betty was the only one. He just kind of left everything in the same place. Mm-hmm. I I feel like he felt like he needed to be caught at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one he was a lot smarter with. I mean, the head wasn't found. Her fingers had been taken off, so there was no fingerprint identification this time. Um, police sought out a bartender who might have seen the two of them together and may have even introduced the two of them, but they couldn't find her. She had moved back to Chicago and it just, it turned into kind of a wild goose chase, it sounds like, and they couldn't find any information. And actually, from what I can find, the woman has yet to be, yet to be identified even today. They don't know who she was? Mm Mm-mm. I'm hoping they still have some part of her, so maybe they can use, like, the DNA genealogy stuff they're using nowadays, Mm -hmm. and maybe find out who she was, at least, to give the family some peace of mind. But do they have DNA from the missing person that's that old? Um, well, if they use genetic genealogy, they can link her to family members. Oh, okay. And then from there, find out, oh, they have this missing person. Yeah. Let me, let me get DNA from her mom or her brother or, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how they figure out who's who. But, yeah, even to this day, nobody knows who she is. I couldn't find her on NamUs either, which is the National um, Missing Persons Archive. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was in Clackamas County's Missing Persons, I believe. Or no, it's Marion County's Missing Persons, I think. I don't know why I'm surprised by this, but I'm just looking at pictures of the Roaring River Campground, mm-hmm. and there's a really pretty river there. <laughs> One might say it's roaring. I'm not surprised they didn't find the body. It looks like pretty dense woods here, and like I feel like it would disintegrate faster because it's by a river. Lots of wildlife are going to be there. They're going to be visiting. Maybe, yeah. Who knows? I, I, just, ugh. I, I just don't understand why he... I mean, I'm glad he did, but why he gave that up. Mm-hmm. I think he had actually told his attorneys, and his attorneys are like, you need to tell them. Yeah. Um, from what it sounds like. So, um, Marquette was actually transferred out of Oregon to McNeil Island Federal Penitentiary in Washington, because we seem to send a lot of our prisoners to Washington. Um, and he was given a possible parole date of 2005. So, we're going to parole him again. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I just, I mean, like, you, you did this once, it didn't, it didn't work. But luckily, in 2005, instead of being paroled, Marquette was returned to Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. He is now 87 years old and is still housed in the Oregon State Penitentiary, where he will remain without parole until his death. So he's still alive? He is still alive. He is 87 years old now, so... That's pretty old, yeah. Yeah. One thing I I noticed coming across this was, like, anytime they interviewed family members, they're like, he was a sweet guy until he got mad, and then he was scary. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's, like, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, like, two personalities. That's why I can kind of see the schizophrenic. Yeah. A little bit, you know, one personality switches off and the other one takes over. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so technically he had three victims, so he was a serial killer in Salem, in Oregon. 
hopefully one day they identify the third woman so her family can get some some answers and some rest. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't too long ago. No, it really wasn't. She still has some family members alive, I'm sure. Well, I mean, if he's alive, yeah, I'm sure some of them would still be alive. Mm -hmm. Especially if she had siblings and cousins and hopefully. Maybe a husband. The other two had a husband. Yeah. Maybe some children. I I couldn't find if Betty had children. Um, From a couple articles, it sounded like she did have some children, but they weren't mentioned. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff, like, um, some of the stuff on Ancestry I found mentioned possible children. And, but I couldn't get confirmation on any of it. So I didn't want to, like, be like, yeah, she had all these kids. But <laughs> anything I can't get confirmation on, I kind of give the information, but I'm like, it's not for sure. Like, there were, like, six different high schools she could have gone to. And I'm like, I don't want to say any of them <laughs> and give what she did in them because I don't know. But, um, she was a seamstress, so mm-hmm. she did, um, like, to work with clothing and stuff like that. That was mentioned in her obituary. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a story of Joan and Betty and, um, unnamed woman who hopefully one day will be named. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you got anger issues, they shouldn't let you work in a butcher shop in the first place, learn how to do all that yeah I feel like that's where he kind of learned how to do all that Uh and he had the idea of it like he's used to working with me and I think that's kind of where it rooted in Mm -hmm. yeah and I I kind of vaguely remember reading an article where a psychologist was like he kind of had a hatred of women Mm -hmm. I'm like kind of (laughs) I mean it's kind of blatantly obviously kind of hated them (laughs) especially when you look at um victim number well technically number three where he didn't even have any like try to have intercourse with her she didn't like deny him or anything like that he just killed her mm-hmm. they argued and killed her I guess is what it sounds like it doesn't sound like he was like before you know he was arrested for rape it didn't sound like he tried to do that mm-hmm. it just sounded like he just wanted to kill her yeah <laughs> and I don't know if that had something to do with his how he grew up or anything like that I didn't actually look into his background as much. I kind of wanted to bring the victim's backgrounds forward more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he could have had a bad childhood. I probably should have researched that, but you know, he killed people, so I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> There's no excuse for killing people. Go to, go to therapy, people. Go to therapy. <laughs> Talk to someone. Don't kill people. Turn yourself into a hospital or something before you kill someone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and parents, watch your children look for signs I mean my, my daughter scares me sometimes some of the stuff she says <laughs> and I'm like I'm keeping a very close eye on you the younger one the younger one oh, yes okay <laughs> like the other day she got a brand new kitchen set because her old kitchen set was just way too big for her room so we got her a smaller one she loved it and she came in the living room one day and she was doing something and she was mom I'm gonna go cook people <laughs> food I was like <laughs> Why was there a pause? <laughs> Please don't do that to me. <laughs> like, you already say things where I'm like, oh, I need to lock my doors. <laughs> so we try and make sure we teach right from wrong. <laughs> and she knows, so I'm like, okay, we're not like a psychopath. <laughs> but, and she does have feelings and all that. So I'm just, I, I'm just like, maybe it's my true crime brain that I see this more. But I, there's just stuff she says that just very much worries me. Like, like we were, um, we were on a trip with her and her sister. We said something about in 
like two years her sister's gonna be driving and she very nonchalantly looks at me and goes in two years i'm going to eat sister i'm like what (laughs) she's like yeah in two years i'm gonna eat sissy i'm like we're not eating sissy (laughs) not in two years not in three we're not going to eat your sister she has it planned out (laughs) i know that's what i'm thinking i'm like oh my gosh there's this plan in her brain i need to counteract this (laughs) but i'm just hoping it's like like i i do listen to other true crime podcasts and i'm like i try not to do it while she's in the car because like she's like you can tell she's soaking it in (laughs) And taking notes, and I'm just like, that's where it started, Stacy. Turn it off. <laughs> well, her older sister, I can listen to it with because she doesn't. She's like, she's got a true crime brain like me. But yeah, the younger one, I'm like, no, I can't listen to this unless you have your headphones on and are listening to something else. And <laughs> yeah, uh, but while well, actually while I was writing this, um, I had forgot my notebook at home, and I was still wanting to write out some of the um, the story. And so at work, I just pulled out a piece of paper on my lunch and started writing stuff and brought it home and then put it in my other notebook. And she's like, can I have that paper when you're done? And I was like, oh yeah, once I finish writing this out, you can have it. She took it, had her dad read it, (laughs) brought it back to me and said, mom, this is creepy and I don't like it. (laughs) I was like, good. (laughs) I'm doing something right. I was like, why would your dad read this to you? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I was like, he actually read that? Yes, and it was about Betty's death, like the the details of her death. And I'm like, that's the part you read? (laughs) So if I had known that, I wouldn't have given it to her. Maybe that's where where she's getting it from. Her dad? Now I gotta be worried about both of them. Oh, but yes, this is going to be our season finale. We're going to take a couple weeks off and then we'll be back with some more stories. Yes. Thank you for listening. Yes. Thank you. You can find us um, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. Stitcher, Radio Talk or whatever. Radio. Radio Talk, Amazon Music, anywhere you can get your podcasts. Um, You can also follow us on Instagram at F-A-R-R dot A-N-D dot beyond ah okay so yeah follow us on instagram so you can be updated when our episodes start again and until then thanks for listening you can comment let us know how we're doing um we're trying to get better with our sound we appreciate your patience patience it's getting there our first episodes were a little bit rough like i went back to listen to them i'm like oh they're getting better yeah <laughs> but all right until then uh, keep it weird keep it strange keep, keep it safe, it safe. <laughs>